Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. Thank you, worship team. That was awesome. You know, I always, to this day, I still like every once in a while don't turn on Spotify and I listen to the radio and if they're like, call in now for your request. Mike made my request. Like WSTO 96 in high school. Yeah, Guns N' Roses. Felt like old times. Well, it's my pleasure to be here for the missions conference this weekend. We've had a wonderful time reflecting on the God that invites us to be a part of his global mission that will succeed 100%. It's just a matter if we want to jump on the winning team and get in the game or not. And I have been encouraged to go back to East Tennessee and oversee Tennessee Tech and the University of Tennessee and train up laborers to build laborers on the campus for the lost world. So I thank you, Faith Bible Church, for letting me be a part of this missions conference. My wife is not here, Cindy, and the kids are back at home. They're actually over in North Carolina where Cindy's mom has been having some heart uh, health issues and stuff, so she's been tending to her elderly mother, mother but she wants to just give her uh, love and blessing to you guys, and you can pray for us as we raise teenagers and college students. Um, you know, this morning we are kind of part two of our missions conference. If you weren't there Friday night, we talked about the motive of the gospel message, the motive of the gospel message. We talked about being made new in Christ, becoming new creations. When God regenerates your heart, makes you a new person, he begins to control your life. He compels you. He, we talked about grips you like a chokeslam of a WWE wrestler who happens to be the mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. And this controls you to do things you could never imagine you would do or want to do to share the gospel and the love of Christ with others. So that inner motivation and even the external motivation of the realities of hell and people's separation from God and the fact that there's 7 billion people in the world and maybe 25% know of the name of Jesus Christ. Well, we're going to transition on this morning from the motive, and if you have that motive, that internal Holy Spirit motive in your life, now we've got to ask ourselves, well, what is God's method for taking this gospel message into all the world? And to do that, we're going to pick up where we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. So if you want to open up your Bibles with me, and I'm going to read for us 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 21. Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, which he planted and wanted to encourage and rebuke and push towards Christ in this message, says this, all this is from God, the motive we talked about earlier. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have invited us, as we sing, a church with broken wings, a church imperfect with many distractions and a Western Christianity and American Christianity that almost goes the opposite direction like your prophet Jonah to your call to go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. But Lord, you've encouraged me this weekend to be around some brothers and sisters who have spurred me on to want to go towards the mission. Like the policemen going towards the gunfire, Lord, you call us to go towards the lost, to go towards those who need to know. Lord, thank you for this privilege, and may you raise up laborers for the lost world this morning. Amen. Anytime I'm uh, asked to come to Evansville or visit family, I still have uh, my brother, sister-in-law, and their kids are here, Harrison High School attendees. Any Harrison folks in here? A couple? Okay, we got a few. Warriors in the room. Are they still warriors? Okay, some kind of version of a warrior. And uh, my, my, uh, my parents live in Owensboro. They like the Kentucky health benefits better, I think. And so I come, when I, but when I'm coming to Faith Bible Church or to visit them or whatnot, I have to prepare myself. You see, about when I hit my 40s, I realized I have zero metabolism. Even though I hang out with 18 to 22-year-olds who can eat anything they want and always have a washboard stomach and not only have one chin and different things like that, once I hit 40, those days were gone. I was like dad bod poster child if I ate like I did. So I have to kind of eat like a rabbit now. You know, it's either that, and I, I can't, you know, I can't work out enough. I can't run enough. I can't get to the CrossFit gym enough to outdo my eating. So I have to eat like a rabbit for the most part. And, uh, but when I'm coming to Evansville, Indiana, I like fast a few days before. Because there's, it's not only do you guys have good food, but I grew up here, so it's like sentimental comfort good food. That's just the double whammy. I'm not saying no. Though I know what I should do, I do not do it. You know. <laughs> Things like foot-long strombolis from Pizza King that I had yesterday with Dan, and I ate the whole foot. <laughs> and there was enough sausage left over in the little uh, foil package, it was like another six feet. <laughs> I ate it all. But then this morning I woke up and I thought, you know, I, that was just wrong. But I had to get some coffee in me. Kobe, Kobe's here. He put me up. I, Dan knows me well. He put me up in a bachelor, USI bachelor pad. Which, by the way, he's a very clean single man, young ladies. <laughs> just saying. It was not the bachelor pad like where I had to shave the bathroom before I went in there or anything. It was clean, nice. Thank you, Kobe. This morning I woke up like a good campus outreach trained young, you know, when I'm my young age, to get up and go have my quiet time somewhere. So i like, where am I going to go? Unfortunately for me, there was a donut bank. The other, 
That's a real-time picture, folks. I did have my quiet time. I've met with the Lord, and I had what you can't buy in any other part of the world, a foot-long, or no, whatever, not foot-long, a long, long's the word, long John, unfilled. Don't put all that junk in there. No, no, no. The chocolate on top's enough. Unfilled, and yes, I also did get a glazed donut to go with it. Again, you guys see my strategy here, right? All, you know, it's cheat weekend when you come to Evansville. So I'm in there this morning having my devotional time, and I won't say which donut bank I was at, but every donut bank has these guys. You have the retired old guys sitting in there, chopping it up. They might as well be, you know, old ladies gossiping about Mary Sue down the road, but they're talking about Joe's Transmission Shop or Buddy's, you know, sausage biscuit, all-you-can-eat things and going back and forth, and they're salty in their language, these guys. It was Sunday morning at 6, right? They're not going to church. They're not prepping for Sunday school at Faith Bible Church over there. And so I heard a couple words that I can't share in this room and things like that. And I'm sitting there, a Christian man at a missions conference having my quiet time. I'm like, these guys. And I'm hearing it, and all of a sudden I'm just like, I just yesterday challenged a room full of people to step out of their comfort zone and talk to others about Christ. And you know what I felt in that moment? I felt so strong and powerful, and I was going to go, no. I was like, God, I don't want to go talk to these 80-year-old men. They're going to think I'm the biggest nerd ever. Mr. Ned Flanders talking about Jesus, you know. That's Homer Simpson's Christian neighbor, by the way. You know, they're going to ridicule me. It's going to go bad. And I was fearful I was afraid to go talk to him as a professional Christian, training people this weekend to talk to others about Jesus. I was afraid. I didn't want to. I was pessimistic on how this was going to go, and I avoided it, and I said, no, God, I will not. So I kept having my quiet time, looking over my sermon. I go to leave. I put my stuff up, and they're hamming it up. They're talking, and I was just like convicted. That's the only way I can say it. I was convicted. There was a conviction on the inside, like we talked about Friday night, that these men may not have anybody go tell them about Jesus Christ, and I'm here with the message. So I do the walk of shame, and I'm like, Lord, be with me. I'm I'm calling you. I'm calling that card. Lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Be in Donut Bank right now, please. And I just walk up right to the guys. And these guys are loud. And I'm like, man, they're going to give it to me. I'm like, hey, fellas. Hey, I just, I don't know where this came from. It just popped in my head. I was like, hey, I remember growing up, there was this like mural on this old building of Don Mattingly. And I've always, to this day, I wonder, where is that old building in Evansville, a big mural of Don Mattingly? If you guys know where it is, tell me after the service. And I was, we'd go eat breakfast and we'd come out and there'd be this, and they just kind of looked at me like, that must be an east side thing. Whoops, I just revealed where it was. Anyway. Uh, and they were like, uh, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm here visiting. I've been gone a long time. I grew up in Boonville. And they're like, oh, one of them's like, you married your sister, didn't you? <laughs> here we go. But I was like, okay, I'm trying to get in the gospel conversation with these guys. So I just got to roll. I was like, yep, Boonville makes Kentucky look like a straight and narrow, good place to live, doesn't it? And they laughed and so in that moment, I kind of won the right to talk to him and stuff. I was like, well, guys, listen, a few years ago, I actually got saved. I became a Christian. And I don't have much time. I got to go. And there was like 10 of them there. So I wasn't going to give my, you know, 
gospel presentation in that moment with a flip chart or anything like that. And I just said, guys, listen, if you get the chance, read Romans chapter 1. Just chapter 1, because if they read 1, they'll, get, they'll read more, right? If you get the chance, read Romans chapter 1, and they're like, okay, buddy, sure, man, sounds good, bye. You know, they start laughing. Who knows what they said? And I walked out, and I was just thinking, what an illustration. On the day I'm preaching, I was afraid. I didn't believe the gospel was the greatest need in these men's life. I thought somebody else would tell them. But in that moment, God, in his grace, reminded me, remember how I changed you. Remember how I gripped you. Remember how somebody uncomfortably went and got into your business and sparked something to get you thinking about the gospel. And that motive was there, and then I was trained to have a method. Somebody trained me to get in conversation, direct them to Romans, share a quick testimony of your own story. And I was reminded that in that moment, and that's our topic for today, that men are the method of the mission. Now, I have another confession to make here. Here's a couple of verses I have up here. These are the first and last set of words Jesus gave to his disciples. As I mentioned earlier to, I, to these guys, I grew up in Boonville. We did book reports in Boonville, actually. Some of you castle people may not believe that, but yes, we did do book reports in Boonville. The problem is, and kids don't ever do this. Hear this in church today. Don't do this, but here's what I would do. A lot of times with book reports, I would read the beginning and the end, and this kind of flip flu piece it together, and I would always get like a, a, at least a B on those papers, on those book reports. It was amazing. It didn't work in college. That's why I almost flunked out my freshman year, but it worked in high school a little bit. Read the beginning, read the end. It kind of gives you the big picture. Well, let's look at the big picture of what Jesus' first and last words of his mission were to his men. He says there in Matthew 4, 19, Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men, he says to his disciples. He has a whole ministry of a three years or so with his men, and then before ascending into heaven, he comes to them and says this, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them, these same guys, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even in Donut Bank, to the end of the age. How a book begins and ends tells you a lot about what the priorities and the theme and the ultimate ends and methods are of the story. This morning, Paul reminds Corinth and reminds us that Jesus has commanded us to go and share this gospel message. And we're going to look at this passage in Corinthians that I read earlier, and we're going to take a look at three areas that I feel like confirm the method of this mission. The first one, if you're taking notes, is the church, the church's ministry. That's one method. It's the church's ministry. Two, the ambassadors. The ambassadors. The church's ministry, the ambassadors, and thirdly, the message. The church's ministry, the ambassadors, and the message. Now, let's look at that first one, the church's ministry. 
Verse 18 and 19 says this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now notice two times here, Paul reminds the church this, that he gave us, the church, God's bride, this ministry, and that he has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. Now this word reconcile, let's look at this real quick. Reconcile, as you look in the original language there in verse 18, verse 18, that word reconciliation is actually a verb. It's an action. It's what God is doing when he went to the cross shed his blood, died, rose again on the third day. He reconciled, he made right what was wrong, a relationship from our separation, and he made it right through the blood of Christ. There's a verb there. So it's one of the parts of the messages. He's saying, go and tell others this happened. But then, a few verses later there in 19, it says reconciliation again. This is very interesting. In the Greek, that word is actually a noun the second time. And here's what that means. Ultimately, you've been restored. You've been reconciled. It's a state you're in. You are a noun, right? Person, place, or thing. You're this thing that is reconciled. And you have a message to tell others that God was reconciling the world through himself on the cross. And you can be reconciled. That's the message he has for the church to take out. As we think about that, in a crowd like this, we got to pause for a minute and ask ourselves, have we been reconciled to God? We heard one brother talk to this yesterday that one of the biggest mission fields in the world is in the pews of a church. And I would be doing a great disservice this morning if I didn't stop and talk to you. You know who you are. And I challenge you, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. But the, for those of you who are like, yes, Mason, thank you for reminding me. I am saved. I'm a believer. I, I've been reconciled. My challenge to you then is this. Do you not know that the gospel came to you on its way to someone else? And it's time to go. And take on this ministry that he gave the church. This ministry and message of reconciliation. You know, in Campus Outreach, the ministry I work for, our mission statement is building laborers from Matthew 9. Building laborers on the campus for the lost world. Well, one of the implications with that we realized is we're assuming, I'm getting to some presuppositional apologetics here, right? We're assuming people know what laborers are. And we realized in order to get a common language and as different doctrines and systems and things, you know, kind of weasel their way into the Western church, we realized we need to kind of come back and get on the same page here on the definition of what is a laborer. And here's what we came up with. What is a laborer? A follower of Christ, prerequisite, right, who is orienting their whole life, revolves, orbits around, they're, they're orienting their life around three things. Knowing God, becoming like God, 
and making him known. The first half of this conference on Friday night was about knowing God and becoming like God and that producing a motivation in your heart. So a laborer is somebody who has those things now, but thirdly, and this is what we're talking about this morning, and making God known. You're not a laborer if you're not knowing God and becoming like Him, but you're also not a laborer if you're not making God known. And in this passage here, Paul says this is through the church and for His kingdom. God is going to use the church to raise up laborers, and those laborers are you. He has called you to go Men are his method. Now, that's a macro level. Let's shrink it down to more of a micro reality. Paul goes on to say this. He talks about the church's ministry of reconciliation. But let's talk about me and you. Let's talk about us individually. He says this to those in Corinth. We are therefore, in light of this, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see here, he has called you to be an ambassador. Now, when you think about that word ambassador, political terms come to mind, right? And here's the thing. He says the church as a whole is the ministry of reconciliation. We are to go. But they don't send a collective group of ambassadors to other countries, do they? No, they send one ambassador, you know, in the U.S., for example, we send one ambassador to each country to represent the president. I think Paul is using this word ambassador specifically here because when you look at its term in the original Greek and stuff like that, it was actually a terminology of somebody with political high-rank authority, an individual. It was an individual word. He is calling you as an individual to be his ambassador at your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood. Some of you to change your plans from where you are now to send you to another country or another city or to a seminary or to a school or to different places with the title Ambassador for Christ on your spiritual chest. Now, I wanted to dig into this a little more. Last summer, I was actually looking over this passage again for somebody else, and I was looking at it, and I realized I had read, when I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee, I had read in the newspaper that one of the former U.S. ambassadors lived in Knoxville, and it was accessible through some connections I had in my church. So I just, you know, threw a dart in the, in the darkness and said, I wonder if I can get with this guy. And sure enough, I was able to get a meeting with Victor Ash. Now, all of you are looking at me like, impressive, Mason. We don't know who Victor Ash is. Either did I before I moved to Knoxville, Tennessee. And he's not that impressive. Look at the guy. But Victor, his claim to fame was he went to Yale University. He was a really smart guy growing up in Knoxville and was able to get to Yale University. And he came back and used his, some of his teaching and leadership skills and stuff and eventually became mayor of Knoxville. And so he did some different political things there. But while he was at Yale University, he had a classmate while he was there. His classmate's name was George. 
George came from a wealthy oil family. In fact, his dad was actually vice president of the United States and then became president, George H.W. Bush. And his old buddy George actually was voted in also as president. Anybody ever heard of George W. Bush in this room? Well, that was Victor's classmate. Well, when George needed an ambassador to go to the country of Poland, he reached out and initiated to Victor, his old college buddy, who he knew had had a successful political career in Knoxville, Tennessee, and said, hey, man, listen, I want you to be my U.S. ambassador to Poland. So this is all through interviewing Victor. And I was talking to Victor. I was like, man, did you have any idea? He's like, I had no clue that George Bush, I mean, we had contact and we saw each other at different things. Don't get me wrong. But I had no clue while he was president, he was going to call me and ask me to represent him in Poland. Did God not call you just like that? I was just going on my way at Murray State University. I had glorious plans of meeting all the right girls and drinking all the right things and running on the track team and winning intramural basketball championships. And I was going a direction, and God stepped in and said, I'm going to save you and make you fall in love with me. I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to send somebody to present the gospel to you, and I'm going to make you a new creation in Christ. And in that instantaneous moment, I'm also going to send you as my ambassador to the Murray State track team and Clark College and to the ends of the earth. I kept on talking with Victor Ash, and I was like, well, man, tell me, Give me, you know, I'm a preacher, I'm a minister, all these things. Give me the parallels and, you know, representing George Bush is like representing Christ. He's like, well, let me tell you one story. When I first landed, I got off the plane. I'm in Poland. I stepped foot on the ground in Poland. And there's all these military, U.S. Army military guys out there. And guess what they immediately do? I'm Victor Ashe, former mayor of Knoxville, Tennessee. No military experience. And they're giving me a military salute. That's when I knew. I'm representing George Bush as the U.S. ambassador. And they're not saluting me. Who are they saluting? Their commander-in-chief. And I knew then I have been given a certain power and authority to go. Do you see what God's called you to? Do you see the power he's put behind you? And that is exactly what Paul is saying there when he says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through you. You will be intimidated. You will be afraid to walk across the donut bank room. You will be afraid to forsake a first couple years of post-college life to go on the mission field. You'll be afraid to go meet those other moms. You'll be afraid to join some of these secular groups and book clubs. You'll be afraid to go start a Christian book club at a library. But he has given you the power and authority as though Jesus Christ were making the appeal through you. We are ambassadors for Christ, and men are his method. Well, that leads us to our third point. The message. 
Paul kind of closes us out here and says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's just do a little soteriology here, the study of salvation. This is one of the greatest glimpses in the New Testament of understanding the gospel. You have God. God made Jesus Christ. He came in the form of a man, born of a virgin, God incarnate, lived a perfect life. He had no sin. God made him who had no sin to propitiate our sin and take on the wrath of God and be sin for us. Literally on the cross of Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He became sin for us on the cross. And when he was crushed, he wasn't crushed for his iniquity. He was crushed for ours, but he did take on our iniquities. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. And when he resurrected on that third day, if he didn't resurrect, there's no story. It's just another crazy man with a Messiah complex. But when he rose again on the third day, there's a little book you can meet with Dan Gilock at the library to talk more about it. On that Easter Sunday, he made us right with God. That great exchange took place. And we were made righteous. Is there a greater message to tell other people? No matter what kind of evangelism training, Christian, in the room, you have had or not have, you have a testimony. And you can share this message of reconciliation with an irrefutable presentation, your gospel testimony. And your testimony is the greatest news ever. You know, I think about this illustration I heard one missionary give one time. He's like, you know, if somebody came to me and said, hey, Mace, hey, man, uh, that uh, donut bank coffee breath is really kicking right now. You're about ready to meet all these people at this missions conference. Here's some extra sugar-free gum. And he gave that to me. And all of a sudden, no one, people were even saying, what kind of gum is that? And I'm like, well, Joe over there, he stepped in, gave me a piece of gum. It really impacted my life, you know. And if, I, if you came to my house and there was a picture of Joe above my fireplace, and I, you're like, who's this picture of? I was like, well, that's Joe. I had bad breath, and he was bold enough to risk the relationship and tell me and gave me a piece of gum. And I, my life was forever changed after that. You think, man, you, are, you are, have a very boring life. Is that, if that was your greatest moment. That's ridiculous. But what if somebody came and they took on the sin and the death and the hell that you deserved and they purchased your way into heaven through the cross of Christ and they rose again three days later and said, you are adopted into my kingdom. You were wicked, and now you're saved. You, are, you followed the prince and the teachings of the air. Now you're my adopted sons and daughters. I would have his picture up. I would tell other people. I would find ways to move somewhere where people haven't heard about this. Now, if it was for a stick of gum, it's a small thing. I wouldn't tell them about my bad breath. 
Halitosis is not enough of a motivation to get it out there. But if Jesus Christ has really done that 2 Corinthians 5.21 change in your life, what a privilege to get to be his ambassador. I'm going to tell everyone about this man who changed my life. And it's much bigger than a picture over my fireplace. It's a life laid down. And we've seen it in history. I just watched my daughters running track and field for the first time. So, you know, me, the nerdy Christian dad, I was like, well, we're watching Chariots of Fire. Eric Liddell, the Flying Scott, who's living for Christ on the track and field team. And that story is only half of his, this, this track part's only a little bit of it. He leaves being the world record holder and the gold medal holder and living for Christ through track. Hey, Christian athletes, keep doing your thing. It's awesome. But then he goes on to the greatest race he ever ran. He goes into China. We have somebody going to China from our church who spoke yesterday. He goes into China to spread the gospel, to tell others. He uses his fame and fortune and things like that. He exchanges that for himself and uses it to be an ambassador. While he's there, the Japanese invade World War II is about to begin. He gets imprisoned, dies of insanity in prison because of poor health. What a waste. He could have made millions on the AAU circuit, coaching track at Oxford. Or... But no, he laid down his life because he had been impacted and he had a testimony. And he said, I will be an ambassador. You can do that too. You may not go to China. You might go talk to that guy in the break room. You may not go to one of these countries represented, but you may give some of your hard-earned income to support somebody who does and pray for them and go to a once-a-month prayer meeting and pray in together corporately for them. You may learn a tool like the bridge diagram I mean, right now in this church, I know for a fact, if you want more than just your personal testimony as a tool, there's a few things we can put in your evangelism tool belt. I mean, is Caleb here this morning? Former staff guy with see. I don't think he's here this morning. He could, I'll, he's not here, so I'll just volunteer him. He will meet with you and show you how to share <laughs> the gospel of Jesus Christ in one verse in the Bible, Romans 6.23. Dan Gelock, right now, pull out one of your tracks, Dan. I know he's got them. He's got a million-dollar bill right now that shares the gospel on how to kind of float it out there after a conversation. There's different tools we can put into action as ambassadors for Christ with this message of reconciliation. You know, I think about those days sitting in Clark College dorm, Murray State University. I was lost. Externally, everything looked right. Externally, I had the, the girlfriend at home, the girlfriend at school. I was on the track team. I was being invited to the right fraternity parties. I had everything going externally, and inside I was empty and miserable. But nobody knew it but me. And probably my mom, who kept saying, you should go to church. You should go. I'm praying for you. Can't fool mom. Externally, everything looked great, but I was miserable. And this campus minister was going around uncomfortably initiating himself into people's lives to share the gospel of Christ. 
And he came not to even talk to me. He came to talk to my roommate who was not interested. But I, something sparked. The hound of heaven, as Spurgeon calls it, grabbed me. And I was interested. And this guy had no clue that I was interested. I had everything going fine. And he shared this little diagram with me. And internally, God started to stir. And here's what's funny is that guy was keeping track of his conversations and making notes. So he knew what to talk about next with guys. Here's what he put down about me. Mason, nice guy, not interested. Because I was prideful, I had a shield up. But inside, I was hurting. I had everything, but I had nothing. You never know what's going on under the hood until you unleash the irrefutable, unchangeable, non-voidable message of the gospel. So I'm, and my encouragement to Faith Bible Church this morning is, one, have you been reconciled? And if you have, will you take this ministry of reconciliation to others? Two, there's a global need that you and I will never meet, but there's those who have signed up to go. Will you hold the rope for them prayerfully, financially, emotionally? These, these flags represent people you're doing that with. I would say do it all the more. If you, can, if you can, go back and listen to Josh's message yesterday if you weren't here on how to do that. And then thirdly, I just want to say thank you. I first stepped into Faith Bible Church in 1998. I, needed, I was a non-Christian. I needed a church to come home to. And I came home to Evansville, Boonville, and I came with a friend who grew up in this church. And they immediately rallied around me, heard my testimony, gave me a couple hundred bucks to, as I was raising money to go to Brazil on a mission trip. And here I am, 28-something years later, still talking about it. Thank you, Faith Bible Church. And as we move on and leave this mess hall, we'll call it, where we're refeeding, refueling, getting some chow from God's Word, let's go back out to the battlefield as we leave this place, motivated by the love of Christ and reminded we are the method of Christ.